Well, uh, Matt, how about you open us in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this church and thank you for the opportunity to come together and, and worship you and study your word. Pray, Father, that you would grant Josh the ability to clearly expound your truth and the study that we do have this morning. We pray that we would see you for your glory. We pray that if possible, you bring more people to our church this morning. All right, so last week we looked at creation and particularly looking at two errant views concerning creation, that of day-age theory and that of uh, framework theory. Um, we, we ended last week kind of looking at what, what framework theory gets right and, and seeing the literary aspect of the days of creation, how there is a parallelism there, but then showing uh, what it gets wrong in, in viewing creation and, and Genesis 1 as uh, simply poetic. And then uh, day-age uh, taking in the scientific uh, advancements and holding those above the uh, clear teaching of Scripture and then imposing them upon Scripture. Uh, so that's the days of creation. Uh, we as a denomination, we affirm six 24-hour days in creation um, and we do not permit the teaching of day-age theory, gap theory, uh, framework theory, anything that deviates from six 24-hour days. We do not permit the teaching of it. Um, so that's, that is creation overall in general today we're going to be focusing on man how did God create man so God created uh, or, or, or formed man as a living being uh, man is a totality of person he's both body and soul um, it's not like you can separate those two. Yes, they're distinct properties of man, but they are what, together they are what makes you a person. Um, that's why it's important for us to um, affirm that Christ Jesus not only took on human flesh, but took upon himself a reasonable soul because that's what's inherent to being of human nature, body and soul. Um, and so that's what makes man, man, both body and soul. And even at death, when the, the soul is removed from the body and is taken into glory, the body is uh, planted in the ground that is a 
temporary separation and it's not the intended way that we are to be after death. And uh, we know this because of the resurrection of the body, uh, that our body does not lie in the ground for all eternity, but it is raised. Our souls are once again united with our glorified bodies, and that's how we will live for eternity. We are created uh, with the purpose of being uh, body and soul. And Adam was made in that way as well. He was created intentionally to be body and soul. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Um, so there we see the formation of his body. What did God use to make Adam's body? The dust of the ground. Uh, and that's why we see... Uh, the phrase uh, from dust you were made and from dust you will return speaking of death uh, that's speaking of the body and, and when, when the body is planted in the ground at death it decays, it rots it, it returns to the dust of the ground um, and that's because it is made from the dust of the ground so there we see the formation of Adam's body. Uh, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. But then we see uh, the, the giving of a soul. Uh, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Uh, so if God breathed life into man... Could he have existed as a lower form of animal prior to this? No. no. Because it's life that was given to him. He could not have lived previous to this. Um, and that's the argument that uh, evolutionists, theistic evolutionists will take. Uh, that's the argument that Michael Lefebvre makes um, that man existed in a lower form of animal prior to this and that in God selecting Adam and breathing life into him, he became the first person. Um, I don't see how they can make that argument. It seems very speculative and uh it, it seems like they're begging the question that you know they're they're saying this must be the case while making their case um they're not providing an actual argument for it other than well this is what science tells us um and so it's in the breathing of life into Adam that he becomes living, but not just becomes living, he becomes a living soul. It is the breath of life that unites the soul to 
the body that was formed from the dust of the ground. Um, and aside here, I've heard many uh, abortion advocates use this verse to say that the Bible says that in, until you take your first breath, you are not living. Uh, you're not a person. Um, have you guys heard that argument made? Uh, is that what this verse is saying? Yeah, so this is particular to the creation of Adam. Adam was formed from the dust of the ground. God breathed life into him. He became a living, living soul. That is particular to Adam. This is not talking about how every person after Adam is formed in the womb of their mother. Uh, and so to use this argument, this verse as an argument that until a baby takes its first breath, even the Bible doesn't consider it a person, is just completely absurd. Um, it's disregarding the clear context in which this verse is, is written. Um, it's making up a meaning of what breathed into his nostrils the breath of life means. Um, it's interesting. They say this verse says, until you take your first breath, you're not a person. This verse doesn't say anything about Adam taking his first breath. Adam's not the one that's breathing here. God is breathing into Adam. Um, and so they're making this verse say something that it very clearly, even at face value, doesn't say. You don't have to be a theologian, uh, a scholar, to see that that's not what's being said here. And then it also disregards the clear teaching of Scripture elsewhere, um, where uh, David speaks of being known in his mother's womb, um, where we see in the law that uh, to intentionally harm, excuse me, to intentionally harm a pregnant woman, which leads to her miscarrying carries with it the same penalty as killing her intentionally killing someone intentionally uh it carries with it the death penalty um and so you know just be aware that there are abortion advocates out there who are part of this deconstruction train where they think that they were a christian they think that they know the bible and so they'll try to use this verse against you uh, to say that uh, the Bible doesn't teach that a, a baby in the womb is a person. Um, sorry for that rabbit trail. Um, any questions uh, regarding how Adam was made body and soul? Well, it reminds me of the between, I guess, um, traditionalism and how 
soul just being generated from a prior person, whereas another view might be that God makes a soul uh, complete without a prior existing soul. Um, and they might look at Adam as an example of how God breathed into him throughout the life. So, of course, nothing was before Adam. So, his soul was made. Yeah, uh, what Richard's talking about is the debate between creationists, not in regard to creation, but in regard to the creation of the soul, creationists, and uh, what's called traducianism, um, where creationists will say that each time a, a baby is conceived, God creates a new soul creates a soul for them each time. Uh, whereas Traducians would say the act of creation has ceased after the six days of creation. And so in creating Adam's soul in day six, that's part of creation, in creating Adam's soul in day six, God also created all souls and that the soul is passed down through the generation, through natural procreation. Um, that's, that's called traducianism. You kind of hear the word tradition in there, that it's passed down. Um, and so there's, this is, this is an intramural argument. This isn't, you know, Orthodoxy versus heresy. This is an argument that takes place within Orthodox Christians, um, and it's been it's been a debate since the early church. There's there's been a lot of discussion on it. Um, we can get into that. Um, most people today would hold to a creationist. Position that each time a, a baby is conceived, God creates a soul for them. Um, historically, uh, from what I've seen, the majority of scholars and theologians historically have held to a Traducian position. Um, on the table um, I would personally hold and there's probably going to be some people that listen to this that will blast me for it um, I would personally hold to a Traducian position um, 
because of what you're saying. If God each time creates a soul, then either God creates something that is inherently corrupted, which means that God can cre- God creates imperfection, which we know Scripture teaches contrary to that. Everything that God creates is good. Um, or God creates a perfect soul, and at some point it's uniting with the human flesh, corrupts it, so that before a baby is born, before he is able to do good or evil, as we see with Jacob, Um, and Esau before those things at some point that soul has become fallen has become corrupted Um, but if that's the case why when Jesus' soul was united with his physical body in the womb of Mary was his soul not corrupted by the union with the flesh I think there's a lot of problems with creationism. Uh, so you got that aspect. You got the the problem with God stopped creating after six days. After six days, God rested. He ceased from creation. But if we're saying that each soul is created uh, individually each time, then you have to say that God never ceased from creation that he never rested. Now, you will have someone that said, well, we only see that God rested on the seventh day. What about the eighth day he could have created after that? That's absurd. That that completely undoes what, what Scripture is speaking of. It's showing that creation in its special, immediate formation of things ceases after six days. Um, and then you have the issue of dealing with verses like what we see in Hebrews where uh, Paul is talking about Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek and Levi in the, in the loins of his father paying tithes to Melchizedek. And that's an argument for why Christ is the great high priest is because even Levi, who is the lineage of the priests, paid homage, paid uh, tithes to Melchizedek, showing that Melchizedek is the greater priesthood. How can Levi, in the loins of his father, pay tithes to Melchizedek if the concept of Levi never existed until God created that soul and put it into that fertilized egg. Um, I I know there are a lot of creationist guys who will argue against Traducianism um but it, it it almost seems it almost seems to me like most of the arguments against traducianism 
boil down to that's a position that the Catholic Church held. Why are you why are you holding that as a papist position? It's like, well, some in the Catholic Church have held to it, yes. Uh, it predates the Catholic Church uh, by about 200 years. Um, you can read early church fathers arguing for Traducianism uh, well before the Catholic Church ever was founded. But even if all that stuff was true, even if it was a Catholic doctrine that Catholics held to it, they still hold to it, it's always been a Catholic doctrine, I don't care. Uh, you know, I don't reject Catholic doctrines because they're Catholic doctrines. I reject Catholic doctrines when they're contrary to the Word of God. We affirm the Trinity, which is a Catholic doctrine. We affirm uh, the resurrection of the dead, which is a Catholic doctrine. You know, you can go through the uh, Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Confession, and look at all the doctrines contained in there. The Catholic Church will agree with us on those things, on those ecumenical creeds. Are we going to get rid of those doctrines as well because the Catholic Church holds to them? No. Those are essentials of the faith. We hold them not because the Catholic Church does or even because the creed says that we have to. We hold them because the Word of God teaches them. And that's my position regarding creationism, traducianism. It seems to me that the, the, the logical deduction from the teaching of Scripture would necessitate a traducian view of the soul. Yes, sir. So, in this view, like, are all the souls that will ever exist created at the same time as Adam's soul? Yes. And, and then are passed down through procreation. Okay. So, like, all, all of your future lineage, are those souls just kind of set in the dormant? Or are they, like, like what's, how does that work? At, at that point, you're... You're asking me to speak on something that scripture's silent okay. on, so I don't know. So, okay. Um, there's also another view of Traducianism, uh, one that Origen held to, if you know who Origen was in the early church, um, that argues that all of the souls were created and exist in heaven until they are united with uh a body. So that would answer your question on that. Uh, Origin argues that. I, I would say that still goes against what Hebrews says about Levi being in the loins of his father. Um, I think that's going too far uh, from what scripture actually teaches. Does that answer? Um, Tertullian has a good treatise on the human soul um, and he lays out the argument uh, that reformers later, centuries later would actually reference and, and hold to as well not all the reformers but some 
which is what I've been espousing, uh, the Traducian uh, model with the souls being contained within the loins and being passed down. Um, so if you want to read on it, if you want to read on Traducianism, uh, Origen's work is good until he gets to that point of speculation about the location of the souls. Um, and I'm not, a, I'm not an Origen fan. He's got some pretty very bad stuff that he uh, argued for. Um, but his treatise on the soul is decent until he gets to that point. Um, I, would, I would point you towards Tertullian's treatise on the soul. Um, I think it's probably the best early church father work on this. Um, and then if you want to read about creationism in regards to the soul, um, basically any popular modern theologian is going to hold to it. Um, trying to think who actually... I've only read, like, articles from a creationist position. I've never read, like, books on it. So just, I would, I would Google, you know, reformed theologian, creation of soul, and, and, and see what you can find. You'll find some guys that'll hold to Traducianism, but the majority of modern guys are going to hold to creationism. And you can see their arguments, weigh them, and see if you think that they are more compelling according to scripture. Um, this is a point where I, I would never bind your conscience in, in saying you must hold to this position or that. Um, so do your own, do your own study on it um, and, and come to your own position. Or just don't worry about it, which is what most people do. They don't even... Like, this thought never crosses their mind. You know, at what point is, is the soul made? Uh, most people don't, don't even care about that. Any other questions, comments about Adam being made body and soul or in regards to creationism, traducianism? Yeah, dichotomy versus trichotomy. Um, so dichotomy, that, that man is body and soul. Trichotomy, man is body, soul, and spirit. Um, you'll actually see some Reformed people, modern Reformed people, argue uh, trichotomy, man is body, soul, and spirit. Uh, just be aware that position stems from uh, Greek philosophy, uh, which also gave birth to Gnosticism. Uh, so this, this philosophical position that flesh, physical things are bad, spiritual things are good, uh, 
they would argue, historically, trichotomists would argue, the flesh is absolutely corrupted and cannot be redeemed. The spirit is what is good in all people. It is uncorrupted. It is the good. And then the soul is the... uh, is that part of you which is affected by sin and can be redeemed. Um, It's absurd. There's no basis in Scripture. The only thing that they would argue is that uh, Scripture speaks of soul and spirit. Um, But Scripture uses soul and spirit interchangeably. Um, as though they're synonymous. Scripture also says heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, So are we going to sit here and say that man is body, heart, soul, mind, strength, and spirit? That they're a sixchotomy? No, we're not. We understand that heart, soul, mind, strength refer to the inner man, uh, that which is not physical um and then understanding that we also understand scripture speaks of soul and spirit interchangeably and synonymously and so it, it seems that the the clear teaching of scripture is dichotomy soul uh body and soul or body and spirit uh the the body and then the inward man. Uh, so that's a that's a big long debate that's been raging for a long time as well. Um, but the historic reform position, uh, I would actually argue, argue the historic Christian position is that of dichotomy, body and soul. Um, it's in the early church it was the fringe theologians who were espousing a trichotomy and then as as heresies began to uh, become more accepted especially in the Alexandrian region the notion of trichotomy began to take hold because trichotomy works really well when you're thinking of Gnostic heresies Um, and so trichotomy started to stick and it became more popular and more well known and by the middle ages it's I mean it completely took over the Catholic Church any other questions comments Let's see if we can see if we can get through this. Maybe. All right. So that's man with body and soul. We affirm a dichotomy of man that he is body and soul. Man, uh, as originally created by God, bore his image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Uh, that is uh, something that it, that is what our 
catechism says as well uh, that, that we bear the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And we see this idea of bearing the image of God in Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Uh, And so here we see that God created male and female uh, in his image. Uh, And that is particular to man, uh, to mankind, to people. If we look back at all of creation, never once is anything in all of creation said to be made in the image of God. Um, Also thinking about uh, our discussion just previously about the soul, never once do we see in all creation that God is breathing life into any other creature and giving them a soul. Um, Sorry, all dogs don't go to heaven because no dog has a soul. Um, believe it or not, I was in a church where that question was asked whether pets would be in heaven and, uh, and a sermon was preached on whether or not pets would be in heaven. You may not think that that's crazy. I did. Um, anyway, so... It is man who has a soul, and it is man who is, is created in the image of God. Uh, so looking at uh, Genesis one thirty one, we see God's evaluation of all creation, including man. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the evening and morning were the sixth day. Um, man is the height of all creation. He is uh, the thing which is uh, God's most prized creation in this act. And we see this here in this text. After everything else is made, we see, and it was good, which is good. Yes, it was good. Uh, it was made in uprightness and perfection. It was good. But here, after the creation of man and with the completion of creation, uh, we see not simply that God saw that it was good. We see uh, God say that it is very good. Um, And so this affects how we view man as a part of creation, that we understand man as the height of creation. Uh, Can I get someone to read Colossians 3 and verse 10?
Actually, start at verse 8. So here we see we're not looking at the creation of Adam. We're, we're looking at the regeneration of man, the putting on of the new man. But we see the exact same thing here with the new man that we saw with Adam, that uh, the new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of God, after the image of him that created him. Um, and so we're seeing a restoration of the image of God within man when we, when we look at creation or when we look at regeneration. Um, not to say that man lost the image of God. There are some people who would argue that. Man did not lose the image of God at, at the fall, but the image of God has been marred, has been uh, disfigured, and is being restored through regeneration and sanctification. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 24. Someone read that. So here we see that man, the new man uh, in regeneration has been made in the likeness and the image after God uh, in righteousness and holiness. So Colossians, we saw that the image of God being, being in the image of God is in knowledge. Here we see being in the image of God is in righteousness and holiness. And so if we understand that to be true of the new man, we understand that to be true of man at creation as well, because it's referencing the state in which man was created. And so we understand from these verses that man in his original state was created in the image of God in all, right, in all knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Um, and there we see also what's called the communicable attributes of God. Attributes of God that are communicated unto us that we are able to display in a finite way. Knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Um, James 3.9 James 3, 9 says, Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse men, which are made in the similitude of God. Uh, that continuous active uh, language that James uses tells us that man is still made in the image of God. Um, 
and that man didn't lose the image of God and it has to be given back to him at, at regeneration. Um, but that man, all men, unbelievers and believers alike, all bear the image of God. Um, that they are all made in the image of God. Any questions concerning the image of God and what that means? So we have a, we get, they talk about the new man and the old man. It seems that we can, uh, the old man's dead, we don't have to listen to him, we can listen to the new man. But he seems to, that distinguishes it, there's a distinction between the old man and the flesh. The flesh word is irredeemable, irredeemable and uh, we're stopped. Say that again. Okay. We have a new man and the old man, and we have the flesh. So it seems that the flesh is... Don't, don't separate old man from the flesh. Okay. The old man is the flesh. Um, the old man has been put to death, but still remains. The flesh still remains. Uh the effects of sin on our lives still remains. Even though the old man does not reign, sin does not reign, the flesh does not reign, that's what it means that he's been crucified with Christ, that he's been put to death, that it, sin no longer has dominion over you, as Romans 6 says. Um, but the old man and the flesh are not distinct things. The flesh is characteristic of the old man and, and remains though it has been killed insofar as its power over you. Does that make sense? Any other Questions, comments? Do you know people who say that we no longer have the image of God or that we have to, you know, you get the image of God once you become a Christian? Have you ever heard someone say that? It's, it's pretty popular in uh, liberal uh, theologians who still try to be Christians. Um, it's a very popular position that uh, man loses the image of God and it has to be regained. It's it's an historic position. There were there were people in the early church arguing for that as well. Um, but it it holds no basis. Uh, when when examined in light of scripture it doesn't hold up um, and if we think about it if we held to a position that man is not created in the image of God but that the image of God has to be given to him um, at regeneration um, then we really have we have a moral conundrum that we're in in regards to uh, sanctity of life, 
uh, in regards to anti-abortion, in regards to um, death penalty. Uh, we're stuck in this conundrum. Uh, I would actually argue that if you if you would hold to the image of God being lost in man, uh, I would argue that there's moral subjectivity at that point because it is the image of God within other people which makes abuses against them such a heinous thing. Um, When God institutes the death penalty in Genesis uh, 9-6, he says that it is uh, because of the image of God in man that blood must be shed. Uh, Let me read that verse. Uh, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. It's because of the image of God that life has such high value. Um, and so if we, lose, if we lose our notion of the image of God, I would argue we lose all uh, basis for moral objectivity in regards to uh, other people. Well, uh, I was hoping we would be able to get through the next section, but I'm afraid that the next section, even though it's only three uh, questions, We'll probably have a lot of discussion with it. It's on the cultural mandate. Um, some people call it dominion mandate. Um, I feel like that's going to have a lot of discussion on it. So we will we will start with that next week and then move into uh, the fall of man. Any final questions or comments? Richard, can you close us in prayer?